How confident are you in what would happen to you when you die? Or what season are you in your spiritual life? On a scale from 1 to 10, how close would you say you are to God? What do you think a Christian is? How does somebody become one? Why would anybody want to become one? What are the benefits of being a Christ follower? Now, after those conversations go on, and sometimes they go on for years, you may you may get the opportunity to articulate the gospel, to actually speak the words of truth on what makes someone a believer. Now, articulating the gospel, there's, there's, no, there's no hard and fast step one, step two, step three, but there are some, some kind of categories that help people along the way, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about those uh, tonight. Uh, the first is they need to know why. Why do I need a Savior? What's the purpose in that? I'm feeling pretty good right now. What, what am I being saved from? What's the word saved mean? So sometimes you have to give some categories um, for folks as they are going through uh, the gospel. But the first is uh, giving them an idea that, yes, we are all sinners and that we all deserve death. Um, Romans 3.23, one we've all used, heard, um, um, you know, all kinds of times. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it's real easy for us to, to point at something like that and say, all have sinned. That includes you, includes me, includes everybody. Nobody gets away from that. Uh, the truth of the Bible is, says that it's all, it's everybody. We all fall short of God's glory, His perfection. And because of that, we deserve death. Uh, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's one of my favorite verses to use with somebody. I use just that verse. I mean, you can go through the entire gospel presentation, and we'll do that in a minute here on the board. You can do that entirely with that verse. Uh, it, gives, it gives you all of the things that you're, you're looking for. Next, they need to understand that that the reason Christ died, the reason that there is Easter, is that, is that that's what pays for that sin. Those wages that were earned, that's what pays for that sin. Um, so that's, that's another thing they need to understand, is that the reason for Jesus' death and resurrection is to pay for that sin that, that you are indebted to God for. Uh, so Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates uh, his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, you didn't have to clean yourself up. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And lastly, they have to respond in some way, shape, or form. Not to you, not with a specific prayer, not with, you know, some, some walking an aisle, but they have to respond. They have to accept that truth themselves. Uh, it's like any other gift. If you are given a gift, you, to make it yours, you have to receive it. Uh, I, I very often I will say, if I gave you a gift, this beautifully wrapped up gift, and you take it and you take it home and you set it up on your mantelpiece, is it really yours? You have knowledge of it, but do you really own it? It's just sitting there. 
Um, so they have to respond. Uh, John 3.16 is, is perfect for this response. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, that's the response, shall not perish but have eternal life. It's as simple as belief. And a lot of times we'll, we'll take that and we'll, we'll, make it, uh, we'll make it more complicated than it needs to be than that simple belief. So we're looking for simple, simple belief. Now, that's, that's the gospel in a nutshell. That might take you years to explain to somebody. It might only take a lunch. <laughs> but it may take you numerous tries. And you might have uh, different ways of going about it because your style is different. We all have different styles. So your style uh, may be different. We'll talk a little bit about those, those styles. Um, people have different styles of, I'm way behind on my slides and you'll have to forgive me. They're way different styles. The first one I want to talk about uh, is a confrontational style. A confrontational style. Now, this style, uh, Peter is my favorite example. Peter's my favorite example. And we're going to go back. Peter's my favorite example. And in Acts 2, I'm going to flip over there. There's a lot going on. Imagine, again, try to imagine there's hundreds, maybe thousands of people milling around, and the gospels are the, the apostles are are speaking in people's own languages. And Peter stands up and he says, this is in 14, he says, uh, taking his stand with the eleven, he raises his voice and he declares to them, men of Judea and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this place be known to you and give heed to my words. And he goes on and he unravels the gospel uh, through the rest of the chapter, and he wraps it up with this. And he, there's no lack of him being confrontational. He says, he says, therefore, let all of the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Wow. Some of us are confrontational. Some of us have that style. Uh, there's a confident, assertive directness to that, uh, but try not to be offending. The next one is an intellectual style, and Paul uh, is is probably my 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 favorite intellectual style. Um, I am going backwards instead of forwards. Uh, in Acts 17, uh, Paul uh, is is going to show just how intellectual he is. Uh, he's, he's there. He stands up in Athens. He's at the Areopagus. The Areopagus is a spot where people gather to, to discuss in-depth uh, realities of the day. And he stands up. He says, Men of Athens, I observed that you're very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the object of your worship, I also found an altar that 
said in an inscription, an inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this is what I'll proclaim to you. So he's, he's saying, I'm going to tell you about this unknown God. He's using his intellect to connect with him. Characteristics of those folks, they can be inquisitive, they're logical, they're analytical. Um, but don't be, don't, if you are this kind of a style, uh, don't give substance of your answers uh, higher credence than the gospel itself. The next is a testimonial style. A testimonial style. Um, in John 9, we get the, the, the blind man. And the blind man, he's blind from birth. The question is, it is he or his parents who have, who have, uh, who have sinned because they believe that this, this blindness was caused by sin. Um, this is in John 9. And Jesus spits on some mud and he, uh, he rubs it uh, in his eyes, tells him to go wash, and, and he can see. Now, of course, Jesus does this on a Sunday or on a Sabbath. He just seemed to always want to do things on the Sabbath that would just make the Pharisees even matter. just seemed to be something he liked to do. Uh, but the Pharisees bring the man to them, and they say, uh, this is in uh, uh, 15, verse, uh, chapter 9, uh, in verse 15, it says, And the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said, He applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Now, they question his parents. They bring the blind man back. And he says it again. I was blind, but now I see. And he says, Do you want to be there to his disciples too? Oh, it's great, isn't it? Just fantastic. So, he tells a great story. It's his own story. He tells a great story. Uh, he's a clear communicator. He tells exactly what's going on. Uh, and some of us, some of us have that that style. Some of us are interpersonal in our relationships and w- in our way we share the gospel. Uh, Matthew in Luke five twenty nine, uh, he comes to Christ, or, or Christ comes to him and says, "I want you to follow me." The very next thing he does is he throws a party for all of his sinner friends. Because he wants them to meet Jesus. He takes that interpersonal style uh, and this, this warm, personal, conversational, friendship-oriented style. He invites all of his friends to meet Jesus. The next is an invitational style. An invitational style. Um, my favorite example here is the woman at the well. She meets Jesus. He tells her all about her, her life. She goes right back into town. She goes back into town. She says, I met this guy, and I think he might be the Messiah. He told me all about my sinful life. He told me he would give me uh, living water. You have got to come out and meet this guy. I can imagine if she were, if she were here in this day and age, she might say, there's this amazing program called Follow the Star, and I want you to come and see it because it, it tells the story that, that you need to hear. She's invitational. And the last style that, that I'm going to look at tonight is the serving style. Uh, Dorcas, uh, if, you, if you were in Acts, it's in Acts 9. Uh, we don't know too much about Dorcas because we never meet her Alive. We meet her when she's dead, actually. That's, that's how we first meet Dorcas, is when she's dead. Uh, 
unusual, yes, but still dead. Uh, but she's dead, and and Peter gets there to to this town of Joppa, and and all of all of the disciples there say, "You have to come, and and you've got to you've got to bring her back to life." Because she was so good to us. We all have clothing that has her name stitched in it because she made such good clothing. And in 9, it says, um, uh, let's see, we'll start here. Uh, they implored him in 30. Since uh, Lydda was near Joppa, uh, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and he went with them and he arrived there and they brought him into the upper room and the widows stood beside him weeping and showing all the tunics and garnet, garments uh, that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. Uh, that her, she served so well that they wanted to bring her back to life. I'm not sure I want to be brought back to life because I serve so well. Because I know that it's a whole lot better not being here. But they loved her so much for what she did, they wanted to bring her back to life. So she had that serving style. That serving style. Fishing gear. We all need good fishing gear. So I don't want to leave you here without some decent fishing gear. The first is your own story of faith. If you've not taken the time to sit down and write it out, how did you come to know Jesus as your Savior? It's going to go something like this. This was your life before Christ. This is how you came to know Christ. And this is what my life is like after I've known Christ. That's, that's your basic story. So take a couple of moments, even this evening or tomorrow, uh, and, and, and write it down. Write it down. It's a tool that only fits in your hand because it is your story. Um, but it's a story you can share, and you're going to be able to share it best. The next is a, what I call an impact list. An impact list. This is a simple list of the people that you know and come in contact with on a regular basis, whether they be at work, whether they be on your kid's soccer team and the parents there. Maybe it's somebody that you see every time you go to the store. Uh, every time you go get groceries, you see this person. Put together this list. This keeps us from, from creating generic prayers. God, I just want you to save everybody who doesn't know you. Not that that's not an okay prayer, but I think it's a little more personal and more involved if you actually pray for this guy that you work with every day. God, I know I know Bill works beside me, and Bill's not always the easiest guy to get along with, and um, I know he is as far from you as, as he can be. But I am praying for his soul, and I'm praying for opportunities uh, in his life. So ways you can pray for people like that, you know, that the Lord would, would draw them to himself, that, that their eyes would be open to these lives that they lead with that are Christless, uh, that they might be, that there, any confusion that they have about God might be removed, um, that they'd grasp the importance of Christ. 
uh, and then for God to help you live a consistent and contagious Christian life. That he'd give you wisdom in knowing how to approach this person and that relationship, that he'd give you appropriate boldness and, and courage, uh, and that he'd use you uh, to lead this person uh, to Christ. And then there's the 111 cards. Now, I have been promoting these things forever, and you've probably seen them, and there's a bunch of them on the tables out there. And it looks like this. It says 111. I'll pray for one minute for one person at 1 o'clock. I always tell people if you are just, you know, if you are really on fire, you'll pray for two people for two minutes at 2 o'clock. You could do it. Now, everybody, when I came up with this card, I mean, this this was, to me, it was just a place to put somebody's name and to put it somewhere at 1 o'clock. And, and this card is probably, or the, the idea of this card is probably 15 years old. It's not new by any means. It's so old that now I encourage people just to take out their phone to create an alarm at 1 o'clock. Actually, I'm actually calling somebody. That's not cool. <laughs> Make an alarm at 1 o'clock and put that person's name on it. My phone beeps at actually 10 till 1. And I know, I know when it goes off my pocket, not only is it 10 till 1, but I know exactly whose name or names are, are at the top of that alarm. Just a simple tool. Simple tool. The next is um, a question that you are asked probably every Monday. And the question is, what did you do this weekend? What did you do? You know, you're at work and people say, so what did you do this weekend? Well, let's see. What did I do? Uh, not much. Let me encourage you in your, in your answer to be thinking about it during the weekend. Well, on Saturday, we went to our kids' soccer game and, and they lost. Um, but it was fun. It was raining, and it was uh, 42 degrees. And then, uh, and then we, uh, we went out to dinner uh, with some friends on Saturday night. And then uh, on Sunday, Sunday we went to church, and uh, uh, our pastor is doing a sermon series on Isaiah. And at first I thought, wow, that's a long book. But I have been amazed. I have been absolutely amazed at how life-changing a book that was written thousands of years ago, it has been to me. We had a great time of worship. And then afterwards, we went out to lunch with, uh, with some friends. That's what we did this weekend. How often do we answer our, what'd you do this weekend like that? It starts a conversation, a conversation that is, that is, that is about your weekend. It's, remember, the gospel is, is natural. It's part of our lives. It's, it's a, an outpouring of who we are. And something as simple as saying what we did this weekend by going to church. So what are some next steps? What's God brought to mind in these last few moments? Uh, people on an impact list, how well you can articulate the gospel. Uh, maybe it's your story of faith of writing it down and, and being able to talk about it. Um, so what steps, what steps can you take uh, over these next couple of days and weeks to become 
a more proficient fisherman, a more proficient fisherman. In 2 Kings, and you're probably going to think, where is he going with this? This is a great story. It's one of those stories you don't often think about or hear. Um, 2 Kings, it's in 6 and 7. Um, the Armenians, the Arameans, um, they have surrounded Samaria. And at the time, that's Israel's capital, capital. And they've surrounded the city. The city is under siege. Nobody gets in, nobody gets out. They are starving to death in this. They're just going to wait them out. The, the army is just going to wait them out. They're starving to death. To the point where they're, they're selling pigeon dung as food, and they are becoming cannibals. It's a rough day. It's a rough day. But right outside of the city, uh, there's four leopards. Because they can't be in the city, and they can't leave because the Arameans are surrounding them. They're four lepers, and they're starving to death too. And one of them looks at the other, and he says, you know, we, uh, we got to do something. Why don't we just surrender? We'll just run into the camp. They probably run away from us because we have leprosy. And we'll surrender. What's the worst that can happen to us? That we'll get killed? We're going to die here anyway. So sure enough, four lepers, they run into the camp of the Arameans. And they're gone. They're gone. We find out that, that God had them uh, hear what they thought to be a huge army coming their way. And they thought maybe that the Israelites had hired the Egyptians to come and to, to, to run off the Arameans. And they took off and left everything. Stuff was still cooking over the fire. There were donkeys and horses tied up. Tents were still up. They just took off. And the lepers are going, this is great. This food is fantastic. We haven't eaten in weeks, months even. So they're going tent to tent, eating and enjoying themselves. They're taking plunder, and they're going outside the camp and burying it so they can come back later and get it. And then one of them realizes, what are we doing? And this is where I'll pick up in verse 9, chapter 7. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. This is a day of good news. But we're keeping silent. And if we wait till morning, they'll punish us. Punish will overtake us. They're really thinking, you know, they're going to really be mad in the city if we don't tell these people soon that the Arameans are gone and that there's a ton of food out here. So it says, now therefore come, let's go to the, to the king's household. So they came and they called to the gatekeeper of the city. Can you imagine? The gatekeeper's up there, the four lepers show up. They say, hey, they're gone. We're free. Do you believe them? They're just four lepers. Behold, 
It says that we came to the camp of the Arameans, and behold, there was no one there, not a voice of a man, only horses and donkeys tied. The tents were just as they were, and the gatekeeper calls along, and they tell it to the king's household, and eventually they do believe them, and they go out, and the whole city is, is saved because of the four lepers. The lepers were enjoying freedom because they had discovered the truth. They discovered the truth, and it was a day of good news. And when they realized that they could and should be proclaiming this good news to set the captives free, their family, their friends, their co-workers, their countrymen, they had to go, and they had to tell them. They had to shout the good news. They knew their story of salvation. They were intentional and invitational in their approach. They knew the good news. They weren't afraid to proclaim it. It was a day of good news. And the fishing was easy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us a story of good news. That yes... We are born sinners, and we have a need for a Savior, and you sent one, your very own Son, to die a death that we ought to, to pay for the sins that inhabit our lives, and to create in us a new heart, and to give us a free gift, a free gift of eternal life. It is a day of good news. And there are people around us who do not know it. So I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us, that you would enliven us, that you would give us appropriate boldness as we go to be the ambassadors you have called us to be. And we thank you for it. And we praise you for it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.